The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. We escaped the asylum. We protected the coven. We attended the freak show. We checked into the hotel. We had a Roanoke nightmare. We joined the cult. We stopped the apocalypse. Now we will survive 1984. Welcome to Are You Afraid 1984, the unofficial American Horror Story 1984 podcast, a poppychuloradio.com original series, Poppychulo Radio Pop Culture On Demand. Today is Thursday, September 19th, 2019, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the latest episode of the FX series, American Horror Story 1984. Please welcome my co-hosts, Madison Fitzpatrick. Hey guys, welcome back. And Vinny Hatcher. Hello. That was creepy. I liked it. it ha- I figured it fit. Yes. So let's jump into our recap of Season 9, Episode 1, which was titled Camp Redwood and aired September 18th, 2019. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. In the summer of 1984, five friends escape Los Angeles to work as counselors at Camp Redwood. As they adjust to their new jobs, they quickly learn that the only thing scarier than campfire tales is the past coming to haunt you. So I want to get everyone's initial reaction to this episode, and let's start off with one of our American Horror Story veterans, uh, Madison Fitzpatrick. What did you think of uh, the premiere of 1984? I loved it. I'm so happy with the season so far. Um, I don't know if it's just because I'm such a fan of horror movies or slashers or thrillers, Um but this whole camp vibe, I'm really, really in love with the cinematography this uh, this episode. And just the feel of it, it was exciting, it was fresh, it was new. Um, yeah, I'm just really, really pumped to see where this is going to go. Nice, I like it. And our fresh blood, Vinny, what did you think of the premiere? So I consider myself kind of a connoisseur of the 80s, because that was my childhood. And... 
it just instantly was a throwback for me. You know, I remember curling up in front of my TV on late nights after my parents were asleep, watching, you know, Elvira or Tales from the, well, Tales from the Crypt was later, but the, the, the overall ambiance rate as you jump into this episode took me back to the 80s and everything that they did, it, it just overall from start to finish, I was absolutely in love and I really kind of felt transported back. So I think they did an excellent job getting that feeling and that flavor, the music and everything. So I, I agree with Madison it was awesome. Nice. Shout out to Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And uh, yeah, I will yeah. I will co-sign with both of you. I really, really, really liked it. And uh, this is no diss or insult to any of the seasons that came after the season I'm just going to reference. But for me, this was the premiere that hooked me in from the first minute uh, that, that I've seen of American Horror Story since Roanoke. For me, and I know Roanoke is a little controversial for the AHS community. Some people either really, really liked it, or some people really, really hated it. I was on the opposite end. I really, really liked it. I, I, I love the Roanoke season. And for me, this was just like Roanoke for me. Like the very first episode of Roanoke, I was sucked in, and I was here for it, and really excited. And I, I felt the same way with this episode. I was sucked in, I was here for it, and I'm really, really excited for this brand new season. It was just a lot of fun. The characters are really good. I co-signed with what you said, Madison. The cinematography is different, so I feel like they hired someone new, and uh, it's just beautifully shot. And the whole vibe. It's a little kitschy, it's a little campy, but uh, it is very creepy. It, it, slashers aren't necessarily my sort of cup of tea as far as horror in the sense that it's not the type of horror that really scares me. Um, it, they are fun to watch. Uh, so this isn't going to be, at least for right now, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a season that's going to be scary for me. But it was definitely creepy and I love the ambiance of the episode. So um, definitely a great start to a brand new season of American Horror Story. So uh, before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of American Horror Story 1984. Here's our announcer with a few special announcements. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows. Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chula Radio special announcement. PoppyChuloRadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, 
please visit GoFundMe.com slash Radio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, announcer. So, well, before we start, uh, there's just something that I really want to say, and I don't know if Madison's going to remember this. Madison has a little bit of a spotty memory, so I don't know if she will she will back Stop. me up. I know, but it's true. Admit it. Um, I don't know if she's going to back me up on this, but um, ever since the beginning, and our very first season here, podcasting about American Horror Story, was the Coven season. And uh, during every season finale, we always do a sort of what-if segment. Like, what would you like to see as the theme in a future episode, not future episode, but in a future season of American Horror Story? And from the beginning... My two themes that I've wanted were, number one, a haunted hotel, and number two, a summer camp in the 1980s. And it's, it's, yep. it's on audio you know, record, so it, it is out there in the ether of uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Play and our website. Obviously, obviously they were listening to you. They were listening to me. Because we had it with hotel, even though I'll be honest, hotel the way the way that I would have interpreted it is not necessarily the way that they did in hotel, but it was still a haunted hotel. And now we're getting my summer camp in the eighties, which I'm really really excited about. Oddly enough, uh, I have added like a third thing into it, and if this ever happens, I will probably die. But I really want Michelle Pfeiffer on American Horror Story. Like that's oh something that's something I've been putting out into the ether, especially after the trailer for Mother came out about two years ago, and I was like, I think she would fit into American Horror Story. Michelle Pfeiffer, she doesn't well, really do so horror well. that much. I don't think she really does TV at all. But if anyone can convince Michelle Pfeiffer to do television, I feel like Ryan Murphy could. He convinced Catherine Zeta-Jones. So why? Do you know why I think she would be perfect? I agree with you. Is if you've seen the trailers for Maleficent, she does the wholesome villain so well. Yes. Cannot wait for that movie to come out. So I agree. Oh, me too. So yeah, so so Michelle Pfeiffer, Michelle Pfeiffer. If you don't follow her on the gram, she is so like adorable. Uh, like you all need to follow Michelle Pfeiffer on the gram. She's just, it's fantastic. So Ryan Murphy, if you're listening, or anybody on the AHS team, uh, please call up Michelle Pfeiffer, ask her what she's doing, and see if she can join next season. Please, thank you. Okay, so let's start off by talking about the opening credits. So every season, the the opening credits are created. They're crafted around the theme of the season. These opening credits, they were they were not I don't want to say leaked, but they were released a couple days before the premiere. They're very '80s. It's very kitschy. Um, yeah, I, I mean even the 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 theme has like a, a synth sound to it. What did you all think of? Uh, the opening credits for 1984. Vinny? Loved it. Uh, I think I actually remember that Heather Locklear workout video that they sample in it. But no, it it just, you know, it it was really like a a mashup of so many different things. But the music is what got me, that with the drops of blood. Because, you know, when, when I look back on the 80s, I'm like, oh, the bright colors, the awesome hair, the goths, the punks, you know, and music that was awesome. 
and when people rehash the 80s, they always bring back like the peppiness, the Valley Girls. But if you think about it, the 80s was actually pretty violent. So the the juxtaposition of the 80s kitschiness with the over to the undertones of blood and violence to come, it was really, really well done. And it, it just really, really struck a note with me that I'll touch on later about a theory that I, I have that I kind of hope isn't true. Um, but no, overall, I think it was really new it was refreshing you know because i'm used to seeing the credits with you know what they used to do but the credits were just another thing that they did new that was really phenomenal in my opinion i can't wait for your theory there are many theories online so i'm curious to see if it's if it's something that i haven't read so i'm really excited about Ooh, that we love a good theory challenging here. me yes uh i will say i liked it i, I thought it fit perfectly in with the 1984 and the 80s theme of the season my only problem with it and, and the only reason i it's just a teeny tiny little thing for me is that it wasn't as creepy as like some of the other opening themes like even if the season isn't scary to me like the opening credits are usually like where the creep factor is is and uh, for me it was just a little too cutesy for me um and and i get it there was blood and, and there was a lot of you know the mr jingles was all over the fucking place in the damn opening credits but it just wasn't creepy enough for me it was a little too much like um this would have been an appropriate opening credits for like scream queens or something because scream queens was a little bit more lighthearted and a little bit more comedic um, so it, it didn't bring the creep factor for me, although they are stylistically beautiful opening credits. Like it looked really good and it played the part. It, it just lacked the creep factor for me. And that would be the only complaint that I would have about the opening credits. Uh, Madison, what about you? What did you think of the opening for, um, AHS? Yeah, I co-signed with both of you. I loved it. Um, because I just, it was so 80s, so, um, like you said, bright and vibrant. Um, it did have blood. The only blood I didn't like in this opening was when the blood kind of splattered over the screen of the workout video. I thought that was, like, too cheesy and too kind of, like, not gory enough or, like, just unrealistic. So that kind of bothered me a bit. Um, I really liked how they put um, the the actors and actresses' names. I think this is probably like the first time where it hasn't been in that certain font that we oh, see yeah, that all the true. time. The AHS font, yeah. Yeah, so nothing has been in that font. Um, I really did like the whole like retro vibe. But um, something that like has been mentioned to me before is that I really hope that they're not trying to make it almost like Stranger Things like. I know Stranger Things was in the 80s um, or like set in the 80s, but I just don't want um, AHS to be kind of like following a bandwagon of this whole success of bringing back the 80s, which would you know, we wanted, which would be really cool, but I just hope that it's a little different than a Stranger Things type um, feel, I guess. I just don't want them to be accused of, like, copycats type things, so, like, 
I do want it to be a little scarier. Like you said, um, Jeffrey, I do want it to be a little bit more challenging. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what it's going to be like, but yeah, I want it to be a little bit more scary. Okay. I can feel you on that a little bit. Uh, like I can see where that criticism sort of comes from, especially because the theme used the synth a lot and, and stranger things uses that with its like, um, background music and stuff. So I, I can see where people are sort of, uh, maybe scared that it'll, it'll get too influenced by stranger things. I don't think it will just because it, it, they're, very different beasts like stranger things is sort of an homage to 80s sci-fi and fantasy and this is clearly going to be an homage to 80s horror and um slasher films and and that kind of stuff uh so yeah so let's discuss let's see uh we'll discuss the characters first before we get into the plot so i'll save the cold open and everything uh, for a little bit later on in the podcast and let's talk a bit about the characters that we were introduced to in this episode we're going to talk about brooke last because i feel like we can we can really go into a lot about brooke um yeah so so we'll talk about brooke in a moment so let's talk about uh, montana duke let's talk about uh, xavier plimpton we'll talk about chet clancy and ray powell so it's four of uh, the main five that end up going to work at the summer camp what were your your first impressions on uh, these characters madison um I thought they were pretty interesting. Um, definitely not as, like, teen, uh, I would say. Definitely, like, I got the vibe that they were, like, university or a little older, um, mm-hmm. yeah. like, young adults. Um, and I thought, like, we have every kind of type of person um, in this group, I would say. Um, so I think they covered their bases pretty, pretty good. Um, and I think we're going to find out like a a lot deeper, like than they actually seem like, you know, you have your jock, you have your smart girl, you have your more promiscuous girl, you have, um, you know, your black, you have your gay guy. Right. So it's kind of like they covered all the bases, but I feel like there's going to be so much more that we have to learn about them. Um, and I'm excited for that because there, there's, I definitely noticed things that are like kind of underlying. Um, but yeah, I, I like them. I'm excited to see what what they're going to be more like, I guess. Okay. What about you, uh, Vinny? I uh, actually really like them. Um, Montana's probably my, my favorite right now, just because, like, the part when she's like, hey, nice bod. I'm not a les, by the way. I just, I'm just friendly. <laughs> you know, like, I absolutely, that was the moment I'm like, okay, I like her. And then, like, later in the episode when she wakes up with the switchblade, she's, she kind of reminds me of, like, a valley girl mixed with a character from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. I don't know if you guys remember, there was a chick that in her dream she had a mohawk and the switchblades. It, it's, she's got that rough edge, but a little bit of, like, a, a, a pleasant personality under it um but overall no i thought they were over the top but not so over the top that i'm like god i I can't stand these guys they're just paper cut stereotypes every time i was like oh there's the gay guy there's there's the token blonde girl and the token black guy you know the jock they actually demonstrated a little bit of depth and one thing that i really latched onto was that if you think about it each of these characters 
has some kind of an aspiration that they really, really, really lust after. Like with her, Montana Duke, it was the aerobics. With Xavier, I'm still, I, I'm still on the fence on what his exact uh, – oh, the acting. That's what it was. Um, with um, the other two, it was the Olympics and working in the medical field. So I just kind of got a feeling of all of these people are like they desperately want something, and it's almost like that desperation brought them together. So I think that's an interesting thread for later. Uh, but no, I really like them. They, they all made me laugh at one point in the show or another, and I, I feel that they filled the stereotype without me making it ridiculously dumb. I like it. So wait, Xavier's gay? Did I totally miss that? You have a hint in the episode. Yeah. Oh, with the phone call? Like... Well, no. You remember when he made that phone call? Or if you said phone call, I didn't hear you. But yeah, when he's like, you think you can take your dick and go here or something? Okay, like okay, that... okay. That's what I thought. Okay. All right, okay. So... Let me just say, and I'm going to say this for Emma Roberts in just a moment, Billy Lord, the fact that they're allowing her to play against like the type that she's been playing so far, not only on American Horror Story, but over on Scream Queens, I got to give them props for that because Billy Lord, I'm so glad she's playing a different type of character. She's always played sort of like the really quiet um uh, I don't even. I don't want to say mousy because that's not really probably like the, the Wednesday right. Adams type. The Wednesday Adams, but like a really quiet, um, you know, um, not even Wednesday Adams because I'm trying to think of Chanel. What she, I forget which oh, Chanel yeah. she was over on Scream Queens, but um, maybe sociopathic. No, because that's not how she was in Apocalypse. <laughs> she wasn't. Oh, so that's right. Innocent? Yeah, innocent? she seems very, and she always plays the innocent character. That's the that's the appropriate term. Thank you, Madison. She always plays a very innocent type of character, and this seems to be the season where they're finally allowing her to spread her wings a little bit and to play a different kind of character, character at least against type, uh, you know, versus some of the previous characters that she's played in the Ryan Murphy verse. So I really liked that a lot, and uh, it, it made me really gravitate towards Montana because she seems like a really fascinating character um i believe this is gus kenworthy's first acting gig if i'm not mistaken because he's an actual uh, olympian um i don't know if he has the medals uh i'm not really that into the olympics but uh but i believe this is the first time he's ever acted i could kind of tell that a little bit at certain points but sometimes he really sucked me into his character so there were there were a couple little moments where i was like okay this is your first time doing this um but other times i, I really sort of uh you know believed chet and and uh, him as a character um I was very worried for Ray throughout this entire episode just because this is a horror series set in the 80s and there is that horrible uh, cliche, you know, that the black dude always dies first in horror movies in like the 80s and 90s. I'm glad they didn't go that route because the character is really interesting and I like his dynamic within the group, um, especially with like Chet. And, and it looked like, I don't know what it was, it looked like he was flirting with Brooke at a, at a certain point, um, which was really interesting. 
Um, but yeah, the, the the entire group I thought was really fascinating, and I agree with both of you. They were um, very vibrant characters. I like that they all have sort of life goals, and they're certainly three-dimensional characters, which, um, I mean, we could go back to 80s horror movies and we can, you know, we can count how many one-dimensional characters there are in those movies. And, uh, you know, we'd probably spend, you know, uh, sleepless nights still counting them. So let's talk about Brooke. The reason why I wanted to talk about her separately is because this is another moment in American Horror Story history where an actor is playing against type. Emma Roberts is usually, you know, the bitchy force uh, to be reckoned with, either on American Horror Story or on Scream Queens. And this is the first time that I've ever seen her play sort of the quote-unquote good girl. You know, the... And I don't want to say mousy, but because I don't think Emma Roberts could ever be mousy. But this is, I guess, as mousy as um, Emma Roberts can be. And uh, I really liked it. Like, I, I think Brooke is technically our protagonist of the season. Because we did follow her to her home. And so we saw a little bit more of her life in this first episode. Uh, so I, I would say she's the protagonist. We're like seeing the season through her eyes. And uh, I really like what Emma Roberts did with Brooke Thompson. So let's talk about Brooke. Maddie? Um, I really liked her um, as like our protagonist. I found that she did it really well. I wasn't surprised that she could play the more innocent character really well. Um, just because... I can see her turn on a dime. Like, I feel like if Brooke needs to be bitchy, she will be. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I think she's doing a great job in my opinion. Um, and as a character, you know, this is the girl that you're rooting for because she seems so, you know, innocent. She's just like this lonely girl who has an apartment by herself and she's in school and, you know, she has no friends. So you're, you know, you're happy that she's found all these people to have her summer with. So, um, yeah, I like her. I think uh, she'll be a good protagonist, I think, and probably lead the uh, the pack. But I'm kind of worried that she's going a little cuckoo. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, yeah. So apparently if you want to get Emma Roberts to play a nice girl, she has to be a brunette. It's like the blondes are the bitchy ones. Right, Maddie? Right. <laughs> Maddie's a blonde. I'm not. Sort of ish. I don't know. Okay. Half and half. Half and half. Vinny, what about you? What's your initial take on Brooke? Well, before I talk about Brooke, I would be remiss in my duties if I did not correct you, Jeff. This was actually not Gus Kenworthy's first acting foray. Oh, okay. He has starred in such roles as Gus Kenworthy in The Real O'Neills and Gus in The Olympic Dreams, and most importantly, as a skier in Sharknado 5. Okay, so this is his, <laughs> this is his first acting Stop, gig. that doesn't count. I Jesus know. Christ. Just the fact that he was in Sharknado, I had to. <laughs> oh, yeah. We were all in Sharknado, but, don't you remember? No, I, I'm just saying, joking. I want to because... throw up. <laughs> I know, because I feel like everybody and their mother was in one of those Sharknados. So, anyway, oh, yeah. continue on, Vinny. Uh, 
But so with Brooke, it was funny because my boyfriend and I talked about this uh, before he fell asleep and I watched the rest of the episode without him. It was just so interesting to see, you know, you expect these like razor tip quips to come out of her mouth every moment because of Madison, of Chanel. But then I thought about it back to Freak Show, because if I remember correctly in Freak Show, she played a duplicitous character, but who actually ended up kind of having like a good heart to a degree. It's been a while. Yes. So I knew that she had it in her, but I I, I did not know that she was going to do it this well, but I should have expected it because she's definitely very talented. The one thing that I get from the character of Brooke is I think that right now she's our protagonist, but there's like I, I agree with you, Maddie. I think there is an element of mental fragility in that, like looking at her apartment, how empty it was, how she sat there eating dinner completely by herself. And living in Los Angeles, it's just I, – I feel like there's a story there. Maybe she had a mental breakdown or she's about to because in everything she's in, she's wound so tight that I just keep expecting her to, like, blow up. I don't know. I just get that feeling that there's more there that's going to come into play later. But overall, I thought it was awesome. She definitely handled the the, the psychic mind – or the, the, the psycho attack and then dealing with the, the ramifications of that afterwards really, really well with the character, the shakiness and the – Second guessing of, did I really just see Mr. Jingles? Yeah, I think I did. Or wait, no, I don't know. Like, I'm curious to see where this character goes, definitely. Yeah, I think we're a little bit on the same wavelength, Vinny, because I feel like she's going to be, and, and even though she's not narrating this, but the, the only term that I can think of is like an unreliable narrator, just because yeah. she she had all that knowledge about serial killers and whatnot, but then she's sleeping with the window open and like maybe the door unlocked and that kind of stuff. So certainly she's got issues and I'm hell intrigued to see what they are and and how it's going to come out. Uh, This is a horror series that is taking place in the eighties. And uh, there are a lot of times in, 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 80s horror where like the main character like slowly unravels and goes crazy so this might be what we're gonna see with uh, Brooke at some point potentially who knows so uh, let's continue on and, and talk about Margaret Booth so she is the new owner of uh, the summer camp and uh, she has a bit of a history with the camp it turns out way back in the 70s she's a survivor um, from a massacre that occurs at the camp, um, Mr. Jingles goes crazy. The man that worked at the camp, he ended up massacring everyone in the cabin that she's in. He ends up chopping her ear off, but for some reason she still wants to open up a summer camp, you know, to sort of uh, leave the trauma behind. Uh, what did we think of Margaret, and do we trust her, Vinny? No, I don't. <laughs> um, have either of you seen the Sleepaway Camp movies? I saw the first one, yes. She no. reminds me of Angela from Sleepaway Camp, but not in the first one. In the later Sleepaway Camp movies, Angela comes back as a camp counselor, and she's the counselor that everyone's like, God, she's so crazy. She's super nice and just wholesome, and in reality, she's psychotic and killing everybody. Um, the the religiousness and the, the, the there's an element of repression there, definitely, because she's bringing up sex a lot, I felt like, especially when she was talking about self-abuse. So maybe she feels guilty. Um, I don't know, but I... I 
I don't know. I don't trust her. I feel like she's hiding something or there's more to tell with her story. Because to be honest with you, when she was telling the story, before we saw that she was just part of that pile of corpses closer to the door, I honestly thought she was the chick that lifted up her sweatshirt. Yes. Yeah, and then she wasn't. I was kind of disappointed, honestly. I, I thought that would have made more sense. Uh, but yes. yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, that, I, I don't trust her. One hundred percent. I thought she was going to be her too, but then they actually what used her face, how? and I was like, oh, okay. So I guess that wasn't the younger version of her. They decided to go um, yeah. that route. Although, if she's not yes, to be how trusted, how could that be her? How could that be her? She was stabbed through the eyeball. Oh. Yeah, Wait, no. that's what I don't oh, get yes, yes, I yes, think unreliable yes, narrator. Yes, yes. She could be an unreliable narrator, though. Even if she, you know, like, that whole scenario could have just been a lie. It, like, let's be real. If if we yeah. are going under the, the, the track of, like, she can't be trusted, like, her whole story could be a lie, potentially. Well, I have a thought on that. Going back to her talking about sex and feeling guilty, if you were that third girl who was in the middle of a slightly lesbianic threesome back in the 70s, and it's now the 80s where it's still not fully accepted, and you were the only survivor, you'd have a lot of sexual guilt because she was so hesitant in the opening credits. So I almost wondered if it was an unreliable narration, and she is actually that girl who ended up surviving, but she's just telling it so she sounds like the innocent victim who found Jesus. Well, there you go. I will say how, like, the threesome did not bug me, clearly. None of the sex bugged me. The thing that bugged me the most was that they were going to have sex in the cabin with the kids. I was like, right? Like, that's just all kinds of gross. Like, can't y'all go, like, outside and, like, bang by the the woodshed or something? Like, it was just, (laughs) like, that shit was creepy to me. I was like, that's just tasteless, horny-ass camp counselors. Maddie, what about you? What did you think of uh, Margaret Booth? Uh, um, I'm not a fan. <laughs> okay, but you love you some Leslie Grossman. I do, yeah. I do. But um, I don't know. I don't see her as a, like as the owner. Like I don't see her. I don't know. I don't know if I don't see Leslie Grossman like in this character. But it's I'm not getting it. Like I don't, and I'm I'm not believing in the character. I don't know why. It's not that she's not doing the part well. I just can't picture her. Like it. I feel like this is like beneath her. Like this character is beneath her. Yeah. It's really hard to grasp her. Yeah. Like. Yeah. What was interesting is I honestly thought they were gonna have like Matthew Morrison's character be the owner, because typically in these situations. Right? Typically in these movies, it's because in like Friday the 13th, which there were obviously a lot of homages to, I think his name was Steve, was the owner of the camp when they were reopening it. And I agree, there's definitely just something, maybe it's the way she's playing the character or she's handling it. She, she doesn't come off as an owner and it doesn't, there, there was something weird with her acting style with it too, maybe, I don't know, I, I could go further into it psychoanalyzing, but I won't, but I, I do agree with you. Yeah, so, I don't know. I hope she gets better, and I hope maybe, like, we see some twists and turns from her character, but I just can't grasp um, her character at this point. I don't know. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, I will agree that I I feel like she can't be trusted, 
I feel like there's more to the story. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if she's, um, getting her hands dirty. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, we can discuss theories and whatnot a little bit later on. So, since Matthew Morrison was mentioned, let's talk about Trevor Kirchner. So, he made a big impression on the cast. <laughs> and, uh, this, I will say this. I'm not the type of person that associates a particular character with an actor. Like, I feel like that's so, like, um, passe now, you know, with, with actors, you know, taking on very different roles and this, that, or the other. But I will say, I don't think I've seen Matthew Morrison in anything um, since Glee. At least nothing that, that, that I've watched. So, for me, when I think of Matthew Morrison, I think of Mr. Shoe from Glee. I don't think of Mr. Shoe anymore after the huge dick and the booty and um, going downtown uh, while uh, I guess Christine, the car is overlooking on the cliff. <laughs> I didn't get that car. Who was that anyway? Oh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But, okay. um, but yeah, so, so uh, Mr. Shoe is no longer here. Apparently it is uh, Trevor with the porn stash. So let's talk about uh, Trevor. Vinny. So, yeah, I, I'm with you, Jeff. I haven't seen him in anything since Glee. And I recently, on my lunches at work, went on this spree of, like, watching random old Glee music videos for the hell of it. So I, I had Mr. Schuster, like, fresh in my mind. And then insults Trevor and his anaconda. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, seeing the, the trailer where they introduced the characters and they obviously put a highlight on his bulge, it was just... It, it it didn't register that it was Mr. Shu <laughs> at first, and I had to go back and watch it again. But I I think it just goes again with like playing against type, you know, and him playing this character that is pretty much like Ron Jeremy here. That's who he reminded me of. Um, it was really interesting. Like I, I'm I'm curious to see where his character is going to go. If he's just going to be fodder, and he's going to die in one of the upcoming episodes, or if he's going to last longer. Like I really. The machismo and the arrogance and just the just going completely against what you would expect Matthew Morrison to play. And he did a bang up job. Like I bought it 100 percent. Like when he was sitting there. Yeah. Jane Fonda. I call her Jane. I was like, OK, yeah, I, I, I really dig him. And not just because of, you know, down there. That was just so stupid. I called her Jane. I'm like, really? Right. You think? Um, when he said that, I was like, did he really? Just, just say that. It's so Los Angeles, though. It really, really is. It was funny, Maddie. What did you think of uh, Trevor and Big Trevor? I really liked Big Trevor. I mean, Trevor. Um, <laughs> no, I really <laughs> liked this character. Like I said, I, I, you know, I watched him in Glee and stuff too. So it was really, really cool seeing him in something different and something completely different. Um, so. Yeah, I think his character is going to be very, very interesting because he he said like that he, you know, oh, like, shouldn't you guys be fraternizing? Like, you guys can't be fraternizing. Like, didn't you know that? And he's like, oh, I'm just kidding. So I feel like he might get caught in the whole he needs to be um, an adult, but he also wants to hang out with the kids like that type of thing as well. Um, And that might be interesting. And then (laughs) his whole bet with himself. We'll see how that goes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. 
So before we get into the plot, there are a couple of other characters. I'm going to lump them together because we did not get a lot uh, from these characters in this episode. Maybe, a, you know, uh, maybe a couple, maybe at least one or two stood out versus um, the rest. But uh, let's talk about Rita. Let's talk about Chef Birdie. And let's talk about Richard Ramirez. Maddie? Well, the fact that Richard Ramirez is um, in this thing is, like, really amazing. Yes, which um, is I a connection really to American Horror Story Hotel. Yes. I didn't, like, realize it was him until, like, a while. Um, but, yeah, and then I got it, and I was like, oh, my God, that's, like, amazing. This is so cool. And it's funny because it's, like, he's probably not even the main, you know, villain in this show. So it's kind of, like, eh, like, puts you aside even though you're, like, a mass serial killer like that's fine um so that's pretty funny um rita i really like her character i think i'm really gonna like her throughout the show um i'm very um i'm very excited of like who she's going to befriend more in the show um as i think that she is really really independent and like doesn't care what other people think type thing um and mrs birdie yeah, she's bomb. I love her. Vinny, what about you? So yeah, Richard Ramirez. It, so it, and I can't. I'm not going to say too much without going into my theory too, too later. But I feel like his portrayal was very polarized. Like if you go back to Richard Ramirez in Hotel, which was you know we were it was the real Richard Ramirez in that universe and compare it to this one. This one was like, I'm going to find you. Satan will help me. It was just really polarized and over the top. Um, and I mean, maybe they're just going, you know, if this stays what it is, a camp story and they don't do any kind of other things and keep it this way, that'll just be, it is what it is. But I don't know. I felt like it was like extra, serial killery <laughs> you know and like extra on the satanism um but i i, I digged it i thought it was kind of cool um birdie i i i have a sneaking suspicion that her and mr jingles had had a a, a hoedown like oh. I, I i could see them having had some kind of thing maybe he liked her and she didn't return it or maybe they were hooking up behind the shed i don't know but she just seems like the type that she would have been i don't know maybe someone he would have been into I don't know. It's just some random thing I thought. But I agree. I think she's really the shit. I think she's funny. She was like, yeah, girly boy, why don't you help me haul these over to the pantry? And it was really, really funny. And Rita, love her. I, I think that my favorite line of that episode was, girl, you tripping, when they go to look for the body. <laughs> like, just the look in her face. Like, she's very animated as far as, like, her facial features. And, like, I can't wait to see her react to later events in the series. I like it. Rita was fun. Birdie was fun as well. Richard Ramirez was interesting. Like the way that they're going to incorporate the Night Stalker into the series. I hope it, they do it properly and, and uh, it, it is actually an interesting story arc. He is listed as part of the main cast. Uh, and, uh, you know, people like Birdie and, and Ray, they are uh, recurring. So, 
to be quite honest, that doesn't necessarily mean much. I, I believe there was a season where Adina Porter wasn't a part of the main cast, but she was in like every single freaking episode. Yep. So, so that doesn't necessarily mean that we will be seeing a lot more of uh, the Night Stalker and a lot less of like Birdie and Ray, etc. But uh, it was kind of interesting that he was listed as part of the main cast. So I wonder what that means. I wonder if that, that arc will grow and if he will pose a threat to uh, our people i guess we will have to uh, stay tuned so uh, let's talk about the storyline we, ha- we, we haven't talked about mr jingles uh, we'll get to him in a moment because i feel like we might have theories as to what mr jingles means and and that sort of thing so uh, the main arc of the storyline is this this group of friends meeting at an aerobics class. Brooke is the new one, and uh, Xavier mentions the fact that uh, because the Olympics are going to be in town and it's going to be crazy, and also there's you know a serial killer out there. He's leaving L.A. to you know for a couple hours away to be a counselor at the summer camp camp redwood and how they're looking for people and so he convinces his friends as well as the new girl in town brooke to go uh, and and be counselors at this summer camp brooke is initially hesitant but when she gets her own experience with uh, the night stalker uh, she ends and she ends up fighting back i will say uh, she decides to leave town and to head with these new people to camp redwood while there that's when they get the 411 on the camp um, not only from rita but from the survivor of the camp redwood massacre in the 70s margaret and she ends up showing them her uh, her um it's not her ear, um, her lack of ear, because she got it chopped off by Mr. Jingles. Uh, apparently, Mr. Jingles worked at the camp. He's a former, um, you know, in, in the military. And uh, I guess one night he snapped and he massacred an entire cabin. He liked to uh, keep um mementos from the people that he killed and and he was discharged from the military because he was doing that he was chopping people's ears off and putting them um, in a necklace around you know that he would wear and that kind of thing and so uh, she got her ear chopped off but she said that jesus helped her stay very still and 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 saved her and that's why she uh seems uh, very holier than thou and that kind of thing and um Throughout the night, uh, well, we haven't talked about the hitchhiker. So, uh, well, he wasn't a hitchhiker. But uh, our group end up uh, crashing into a guy very, I know what you did last summer-ish. And um, he's sort of mumbling some crazy stuff. They take him back to the camp. And when he's sort of patched up, he's like, where am I? And uh, he tells Brooke, you need to leave. Like, you're, you're all going to die. And, and that's the same thing that the gas uh, attendant told them, that they're all going to die. Bad shit happens at Camp Redwood. And, um, and we see that this guy also has an ear chopped off. 
So let's stop here because we're going to, the rest of it is sort of like the, the end of the episode. What did you all think of the mythos that was being built throughout this premiere about Camp Redwood, all of the, the very sort of, um, you know, the, the horror trope of like, you're all going to die. Like you shouldn't go there. And our character is sort of blindly following the light to their destination. Uh, Maddie. Um, I really thought it was different because normally, like, in a horror movie, like, everything goes so fast um, because you only have, like, an hour and a half to watch it. But this is a show. So I already knew that, like, it was kind of going to be dragged out a bit. But a lot of the main things, like, already kind of happened already. Um, <laughs> of course, it's all cliche. Um, but we knew that this season was going to do that. It was going to call back on, you know, um, I know what you did last summer by hitting the hiker, um, you know, like things from Halloween and things from, um, you know, Friday the 13th and Chex's Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre, like all these things. But I think they did them so well. And I was so like, nothing about it made me go, really? Or like, Oh my god, I can't believe they just did that. Like, everything was still so well done and so interesting. Um, I like the whole massacre of the nine, not ten, um, campers. And uh, I think it's interesting how it all closed and stuff. But I want to know, kind of like, I want to know why um, these people were like, oh, well, you're going to die there. Well, it's like, why? Do you know that something I don't know? Tell me. Like, do you just think it's haunted? The guy that did it's in jail now, right? Or do you know that he's out? Like, it's kind of like, what's going on? Why are you telling me? Are you just being a creepy-ass man? Like, what's happening? So, but, yeah, I really like the horror effect of this season so far. Vinny, what about you? What would you think of the mythos that was being introduced? I think it's very interesting. You know, I mean, it's obviously a very overplayed trope of, like, back this many years ago this slaughter happened from this crazy guy but one of the things that i really enjoyed is that we saw the face of the killer you know we we know who mr jingles is um we see his face i don't think we saw it in the past but we saw his face in present day at least which was kind of refreshing because usually that's something that they hold on to reveal later in a shocking (gasps) moment but you know we saw that um and i agree with all of the you know the easter eggs as i think of them all of the references from i know what you did last summer with the the hit um to the guy at the gas station you know referencing texas chainsaw massacre don't go play in empty houses you're gonna die uh also one of the things i didn't think of until later one of my absolute favorite holiday horror movies black christmas um and this, there's a stranger in the house with Carol Kane. Um, the very end, when the phone call came into play, um, that kind of reminded me of, of those. Uh, but just overall, it just goes back to what I originally said. You know, obviously, you know Ryan Murphy is a child of pop culture, and he uses it a lot in his work. But in this instance, he definitely used it, just like Maddie said, where I wasn't sitting there like, okay, yeah, you're desperately referencing that movie, so people will get it. It's too blatant. It flowed really, really well. The one thing that I'm curious about is if everything in that premiere happened simultaneously or if we're being led to believe it, it did, and some things happened at different times. Because The Hitchhiker, if Jingles didn't escape 
until that point in the episode that we see it happen, then how did the hitchhiker lose his ear? Mm-hmm. So it makes me think that maybe Jingles, I don't know, maybe there's another Jingles, maybe there's someone else, maybe it was the lady, you know, the, the Margaret Booth, I don't know, it just really struck me as this is definitely something I want to find the answer to later. But overall, I think we've got a solid foundation, and it definitely got my mind thinking of how many ways could this all be explained, like what's going to happen, and I, I really am curious to see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. I thought the mythos was really fascinating. They they they're setting up a really neat season. I, I'm really just curious as to like what we're gonna see next because we got a lot of really interesting information in this episode. As you guys mentioned, some cliches, but cliches not necessarily used in a cliche kind of way. It was they were it was done in a in a really nice. Um, sort of more homage type of way. And, uh, yeah, I, I was just really captivated by everything. I, I love uh, I love premieres because, um, you know, we get a lot of information. We get a, a good download of info that, that we all need to know for the rest of the season. And sometimes it can be very exposition-y, but sometimes a showrunner or a writer, a producer, a director, you know, they can figure out the pro- the the proper way to express everything without it feeling like we're getting bogged down with information and I thought they did a really great job with this premiere sort of explaining everything that we need to know without it feeling too heavy. And uh yeah, and everything was really just fascinating for me. Like I was trying to soak up as much information as I can and then tried to, and I tried to um you know just really see how everyone reacted to everything that was around them to see if that could give us a little bit of a hint as to, you know, people's sort of um, true intentions and that kind of thing. Uh, Before we get into uh, sort of like the the final third of the episode and and the plot there, something that I do want to bring up is that uh, we started to get the taste that uh, in particular our people are housing secrets and and we got that first taste with Xavier it, it looks like he's running away from someone technically Brooke is running away from something as well uh, but but that was um, filled in with everyone it wasn't like she kept that to herself but it looks like Xavier has a secret and I'm kind of wondering if that's going to be a similar trope that we're going to see with some of the other characters if some of the other characters are sort of running away from things that might necessarily come back and 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 haunt them in a sense uh, what did you all think of of that or do you think it's just going to be an isolated storyline for Xavier I'll, I'll open it up to the floor whomever wants to jump in first you know we actually got a hint to that earlier um, with Ray, if you remember when they were talking and he was like, man, I got to get out of the city. I just, he was so ready to go. He wanted to go that night. That is true. So yeah, I kind of agree. I think it goes back to like all of these characters having something they're desperate for. I think that all of these characters have something they're also desperate to get away from. Yeah. Like they all have secrets and that's why I said, like, I'm so interested to learn more about them, like individually as well as to like what they're hiding, why they would just give up their whole summer just, like, you know, to be with kids and stuff. Like, I get it, but it's kind of, like, a weird thing to just be like, oh, yeah, sure, let's go. Like, you know what I mean? So, 
Not to mention the fact that it sounded pretty shady. I mean, I have to put myself back in the mindset of, like, we didn't have internet back then. We didn't have phones where you could research it. But when he, when Xavier was like, yeah, I got hooked up with this gig, and they're desperate for counselors. I'm sorry, red flag, red flag. <laughs> you know, like, this guy that I just met at my aerobics class is uh, offering up to take all of us, these people that I, you know, yeah. from Brooke. It's just, yeah, they were all so quick to jump on it. that, And they they keep calling themselves friends. But if you think about it, are they really? Because the way that they act, there's a lot of, like, tension I got from them in that group. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're necessarily as close as they, they want everyone to think they are. That's interesting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And the fact that Rita sort of brings that up later on in the episode, it was kind of maybe an aha moment for them. But clearly, you know, they're they're in a horror movie so you know they're not gonna realize that it should be an aha moment for them but the fact that Rita was like you know don't you find it strange that none of us have you know experience at a summer camp like I don't have experience at a summer camp you guys don't have experience at a summer camp don't you find it a little strange that they were just hiring people and this that or the other yeah with no screening (laughs) like I mean, in reality, that would not happen. Even if they were desperate, I feel like they they would not just invite. I mean, looking at Montana, that is. Not I don't know. Someone. Come on, this is the eighties. <laughs> That's true. That touche, touche. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so moving right along. So we see that somewhere near the camp one would assume, Mr. Jingles escapes from uh, his cell. So uh, we learn that uh, that uh, Margaret was the, what would you call it, like the star witness that uh, locked Mr. Jingles away, and Mr. Jingles uh, faked a uh, suicide by hanging and ended up killing the orderly ended up escaping and, and... i love that what's his face mm-hmm. from the x-files isn't it oh mitch Pileggi. yes yes oh my god it makes me so happy when that i saw fantastic. him I was like oh my god yeah and uh as he left mr jingles released all the patients to uh create uh, chaos and we see uh, mr jingles head on over to the gas station that's near the camp and ends up killing Patrick Swayze's brother. And uh, and then we see that he has made his way to the camp. He kills the... Um, he isn't a hitchhiker, but the, he kills the, the, the guy that, uh, that they hit. And uh, Brooke ends up finding the guy dead. And ends up finding Mr. Jingles. And after a very horror movie style chase where poor Brooke falls down way too many times. Uh, She does end up surviving, so maybe she is the final girl. Who knows? And uh, once they go and sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, like double-check everything, uh, it turns out that the body's gone, there are no signs of Mr. Jingles, you know, it could sort of be explained away that maybe Brooke is having a little bit of PTSD based off of her experience with Richard Ramirez, and uh, yeah, they sort of write it off as nothing, but late at night... The telephone starts ringing, the payphone that is, and uh, even after the um, 
the the guy that they hit was like the, the lines are down and everything it's ringing she goes by herself to answer the phone and all she hears are keys jingling and we see what appears to be Richard Ramirez in the forest nearby-ish, I guess. Uh, we're going to have to break all that down. So let's talk about the end of the episode. Let's talk about uh, what we think happened. Do we think everything that we saw actually happened? And uh, well, we'll get it, we'll get into theories in a moment. So let's just talk about the the end of the episode, Maddie. Um, wasn't too like bothered by the end of the episode or anything like that. It definitely left like cliffhangers and questions. But I think this whole season is just questions. <laughs> um, it's the first episode, of course. We're gonna want want to know more and and stuff like that. So, um. I think it ended well, uh, a little confusing, um, and just because like we've have seen possibly Brooke hallucinating, is this another hallucination? So when do you think she really was hallucinating? Know. I don't think she was, but like, who knows? It's American Horror Story. This shit could change like <laughs> really fast. <laughs> so I'm um, I'm speculating. Okay, I like it. Vinny, what about you? Well, I, I have to comment on the, the homage to Halloween. I just can't go without it. The insane asylum escape a la Michael Myers in Halloween when Dr. Loomis drives up. I mean, it was such a great example of what we've been talking about, how they've taken scenes and instances and cliches from previous generations and they used it, but they didn't use it in a bad way. I, I loved it. I, you know, Dr. Hopple which I didn't know was her name until just now. <laughs> um, you know, when she's driving up and you've got the asylums uh, open with the patients running it and all around, it really gave me, you know, callbacks to the first time I watched Halloween and how creepy it was to see those patients in the rain. So it was kind of like a reminiscence for me. And I, I thought it was really well done the way that Jingles killed the orderly. Um, it, it was just interesting. And I agree that Emma Roberts fell a lot during the chase scene. Um, the hallucinations i don't know i i really i can i could easily buy the ptsd and the hallucinating because she's got this ptsd and the dumbasses around her are telling the story of mr jingles you know it's like oh that's a smart idea um so yeah she could have hallucinated it if she didn't hallucinate i want to know how in the hell did ramirez find her because this is not the realm of gps this is not the time of anything locator being able to find somebody so that he would have had to spy on her somehow to know where she was going. Uh, so I'm really, that's my biggest question is if he was really there, how the hell did he find her? And I want to know who killed the hitchhiker. Cause I don't think it was jingles. I almost wonder if it was Margaret Booth because she did show up wearing a very similar looking slicker. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that theory. A lot. Uh, so going back to the Christine car, while um, Montana was getting um, was was getting eaten out, <laughs> while Trevor was demonstrating his ability to hold his breath olympically long. There you go. I think that was Richard Ramirez. Why? 
I, I feel like that has to make sense if, or that makes the most sense if he is actually there and if he isn't a I hallucination. Agree. I just don't know how he would know either because she was like a last minute addition to the group. I mean, I mean, let's be real. Everyone was a last minute addition. Uh, but I would think if anyone out of them would have like the least amount of information about the camp, it would have been Brooke. So it's not like she's got a pamphlet at home. So if Ramirez would have broken in and would have, um, you know, seen it or something like, I, I just, I don't know how he would have gotten there unless he was, also, well, why didn't Montana say stronger. anything when the lights went on? Yeah. Like, when the car lights, why did she just go, oh, let, let's go somewhere else? Instead suspicious. of being like, let's go somewhere else, there was a car there, like, with the lights on. Yeah. Why? That was suspicious. Yeah, that was So maybe that's part of her past coming back to haunt her. Yeah. We didn't, yeah, we didn't think of that. So now, look at, look at you, Maddie, allowing us to, uh, to think about that. I like oh, it. Oh, look at me, look at me. Yes, good job. <laughs> I like it um, because like the only thing that I can think of is like he had to have like stalked them, you know, once like he would have followed her, seen that he got that that she got into the mystery van with the other Scoobies and um, and he would have had to have followed them like all the way there. And uh, I don't know how the mind of a serial killer works. Uh, so maybe one of you can explain it. Maddie, um, you seem kind of serial killery to me. But, uh, like, would he become that fixated on his prey to, like, have, like, driven a bajillion miles to, like, kill her? I don't know. Um, you know, maybe he Who felt, knows? he felt, um, emasculated or something because she fought back and, uh, kind of got the upper hand on her. Um, I did feel like he was a little pussy-ish in the sense that he just really gave up. He was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to come back and kill you again by love of Satan right? and all that shit. <laughs> I was like, can't you just, like, stab her or something? Like, it was very weird. Um, anyway. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. It, it's, it was, it happened so fast. You know, like it was. It, it, I had to rewind and watch it a yeah. couple times. The neighbor to was see. banging on the wall, though, saying, "What is going on?" and that kind of thing. So maybe yeah. he was spooked. I don't know. It just seemed. It, I don't know. If you're a serial killer, I feel like you would have gotten the job done. Not that I'm rooting for serial killers, <laughs> but it just seemed a little weak. Um, but uh, I, I have a theory about Mr. Jingles. And um, I thought about it like after the episode, but that was forgetting the fact that he did actually kill people. But uh, my theory is that what if he, what if, okay, I have a couple theories. So let's go with the first one. What if he didn't kill the people in the cabin? What if it was Margaret all along and she framed Mr. Jingles, sent Mr. Jingles away? She would have been the only witness. She would have been the one that would have signed his death warrant and whatnot, basically. Um, you know, she was a young white woman, so the jury would have believed her. And um, she sends Mr. Jingles away. And so this is Mr. Jingles 
Hobbes's sort of chance to get his revenge on Margaret because he had the article about the camp reopening and that sort of triggered in him this hatred for Margaret for like sending him away and 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 that sort of thing and so now he has escaped to get his revenge on Margaret and in this version of my theory Margaret would have been the one that would have killed the hitchhiker um she uh well he wasn't a hitchhiker but you know what I'm saying and uh and Margaret is the one that's behind sort of like the active killings or whatever will be active killings at Camp Redwood the other side of the theory that I have is is what if um Margaret and Jingles are working together I think we've kind of seen this before on American Horror Story where where like the killer has like a protege so I, I don't know if we will see something like that again uh, maybe they could remix it a little bit but uh, I could also see um, Margaret uh, whether it's because she becomes a, a devotee to Mr. Jingles or because of all the trauma of her survival and maybe a little bit of survivor's guilt and that kind of stuff. Um, maybe she, um, uh, has a, has a, what would you call it? Like a psychotic break. And, um, and she ends up, you know, continuing on the jingles legacy. Maybe. Um, I don't know, but I feel like because we've seen jingles, face, much like you mentioned, Vinny, uh, I, 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 I think there has to be way more to the story than it's just Mr. Jingles killing people. Uh, Vinny, you have been teasing us with your theory. What's your theory? All right. So it's not exactly completely formulated, but to touch on the killings back in the 70s. So judging Margaret, how she is now, and, and I'm being... Actually, I think I'm being fair. I'm judging her based on her nightgown and also just her personality in the present. She was obviously very chaste, if we're to believe her narration, that is. Uh, I could very easily see Margaret back then having been the butt of many jokes. You know, kind of like Brooke is now in the sense of like, oh, the last American virgin. Uh, You know, she was obviously not sexual and... Obviously, everyone back then was based on the threesome, if we're to believe her story. Uh, so I could very easily see a scenario where back then she was a counselor, that she was she was like the perfect counselor, you know, type A personality and also super religious. And everyone made fun of her. They were all out drinking and screwing and doing all this nasty stuff. And she just didn't think they deserved to be there. She was a social justice warrior with a knife. I don't know. But uh I could very easily see her taking Jingle's history, you know, having been told that story back then and using that as her way of, all right, I'm not only going to kill all these sluts, but I'm also going to make myself a victim, make myself famous by being the survivor and cutting off my own ear to make it look like I was part of it. I could very easily see that being something that happened and Jingle's being her fall guy. I could also see a variation where Jingles also killed people and she did as well, maybe together as a protege, or maybe they just both were killers. And she was like, you know what? A perfect way for me not to get caught. I want to pin it all on him. Um, But as my overarching theory, and I, part of me doesn't want this to happen because it happened with Roanoke, but 
going back to how I talked about everything being so polarized, you know, yes, we agree that over the top wasn't too over the top, but still it's over the top. There's a very television episode feel to everything that's happening. All of the characters fitting these stereotypes, all of these horror movie cliches. I could see it where this is actually a movie being filmed in Los Angeles or on location. Um, so not a reality show like Roanoke, but a legitimate film. And what we're seeing is the movie itself. And maybe at one point they're going to turn it on its head and we're going to find out that these are all people playing these roles and see different personalities come from them. And that, that to me is how I justified Richard Ramirez showing up. Um, because maybe he's one of the people's boyfriends and he's not actually there to do anything bad, or maybe he is there to do something bad, but that's how he knew where to find her. And what we're seeing is the first breaking of that fourth wall in the television show or movie that's being filmed. But I kind of hope they don't do that because we just had something like that with Roanoke and it would be too predictable. Um, My other theory is Brooke. I think it's incredibly convenient that she happened to end up at this aerobic studio. She does not seem like the type that does aerobics. She's very repressed. So her donning skin tight outfits uh, seems very much and, and thrusting her pelvis seems outside her comfort zone. Uh, so I almost could see a backstory there where she has for some reason tracked one of these people or all of them down. You know, maybe we'll find out people are related or there's a backstory. It it just, it really, I I could very easily see it being something where Brooke is not as good as she seems, and she deliberately put herself in that class for some reason or another. I haven't figured that out, Uh, but I could very easily see that happening just because of how fortuitous and coincidental it was. And again, her attack could also be a story that she told them to get sympathy to make sure they would let her come. Uh, But... My personal preference is that we don't leave the 1984. I want it to play out. I, my, my favorite theory that I have is, is does not have as much tenacity with what we've seen, uh, but I still hope that it plays out, that it stays in 1984. They keep it the way that it is because this is such a departure for the series. We've got people playing against type. We've got awesome ambiance, music, build up, all these questions. I am so here for the universe that they are creating, even with its kitschiness. That my theory is that we're going to see connections back to the 70s. We're going to see more with um, What's-Her-Face, the nurse, because I don't know if you guys caught this, but when they're talking to her and she's like, oh, yeah, the rest of the year I work at Hawthorne Hospital, Hawthorne Hospital, Hawthorne School for Boys in Apocalypse. Oh, yes. Yes. So I'm really interested to see if we stay in the 1984 universe if in some way, because we know he loves to do it, he loves to connect to the rest of the seasons. I really hope that he doesn't, to be honest, in such a way that it turns everything on its head and it really connects. But I would love that to just be a little Easter egg somehow connecting it, but everything else is not. Because I read these theories about how you know uh, Constance Langdon would be living in L.A. by this time, or Agnes Mary Winstead would have been younger and going for roles at this time. Um, you know, there, there's all these desperate theories that I've read, and and I, the one that I really don't like, to be honest with you, is have you guys read the Big Brother theory? The Truman Show one. Yeah. Yeah. I did not yeah. like that one either. Um. Yeah. I, I, that's one that I'm worried about. 
it's sort of yeah. like what you said. Um, I, well, I'll let you finish first before I go into stuff that I've heard. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I really just want it to stay where it is. And, and I, my favorite theory is that it will stay where it is, and we're going to see some over-the-top craziness. I think we're going to be taken by surprise uh, because what's interesting to me is not one of the quote-unquote main characters died in the first episode. I really like that. Because, you know, usually by now, I feel like something would have happened to one of them. And they've all had something to some extent happen to them, but none of them were killed. So it's really whetted my appetite for who's going to die first. Because to be very honest with you, I don't know. The only hint that I have is that the guy who plays uh, Ray is listed as a supporting and guest character, not a main character. But again, Adina Porter, that's happened before. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. But when I try to sit there and analyze who do I think is going to be the first fodder for the killer, I can't really peg it because it's just so hard, to be honest with you. But overall, the, that, that's the, a combination of theories. But I, I, I think what we're seeing, there is the potential that Ryan Murphy is going to do his usual and turn this on his head like he's done with many seasons. I just hope it stays within the 1984, and whatever it does, it it doesn't completely change it to something else. That's my hope as well. I've read a lot of theories online. There was, I think, the Truman Show one is is the biggest theory where they're being filmed and and that sort of thing. And uh, and I don't know if I like that one at all. So I hope that that one isn't the case. I have read the theory that it's the filming of a movie and I've read a couple different things where it's the filming of the movie of a movie that takes place in 1984 and it's filming in the 80s and uh, then there's the theory that it's a present day production shooting a movie that takes place in the 80s if this does have a twist and for the most part every season since Roanoke has a twist that shows up. Usually it's around episode 5 of the season. If this does have a twist, I would rather they do, like, that they're filming, you know, an 80s slasher movie in the 80s, and then all of a sudden the cast starts dying. It's a little Roanoke-ish, but uh, it, it wouldn't be as much Roanoke, because it, it's Roanoke was... You know, that um, they're filming, you know, one of those like Ghost Encounters type of series and they reunite the actual real people with the actors and then, you know, the actual ghosts start killing them. Uh, I would say that if it's a slasher killing the cast of a slasher movie, that would be a little different. It is very, um, what scream was that? Scream 3? It would be kind of Scream 3. Oh, yeah. But uh, I still wouldn't mind that because that would be I feel like they would do it different enough that it would be entertaining. Um, my hope is that it, it does stick with the 80s theme. And um, and if there is a twist, it's more so a twist as to like who the real killer is and like, you know, the real killer was in front of us all along or something like that versus them really taking the um what we've known to be real and like twisting it over our heads and showing us that it really wasn't what we thought it was 
uh, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. Um, but uh, I have read those theories online, and uh, some of them sound interesting. I, I just, I like what we're getting, and I like that the majority of the cast is playing against type. And the story is really interesting. It's very juicy. Uh, it's filmed beautifully. As you mentioned, the music is great. I'm actually glad that they didn't do on the series, like that uh, grainy type of footage that they that they show in the trailers, because I felt like that would have been a little too over the top, and that would have gotten tiresome. So I'm glad that there that it, it it has been shot and it's being shown to us in the actual series, you know, uh, beautifully shot, like you know, um, regular te- television series are, are shot versus that grainy footage, uh, you know, trying to give it sort of like a a 70s or 80s grindhouse. We recorded VHS exactly. Um, I don't mind it for the trailers. They can keep on doing that shit for the trailers. I'm just glad that it that isn't uh, shown in the actual series. Maddie, what about you? Do you have any theories as to what's to come? Any theories with Mr. Jingles or any of the characters or any twists that you see potentially coming towards us? You guys have basically said it all already for me. Um, you uh, You basically basically said like the lone survivor being the killer so um yeah it was it was pretty good i i don't know i'm i think that you guys are right about the killer so okay so you think margaret's the killer oh yeah for sure (laughs) okay i don't know but like because it's the first episode and we think that already it's kind of a little bit obvious you know so i don't know yeah i don't know you're second guessing yourself (laughs) me too (laughs) and that's the thing is you have to go in with these seasons now ever since roanoke you know you you find yourself over analyzing everything like could this be fake or could this be where the the the, this is going to happen and then we're going to find out so like every theory i have I end up like going over it with a fine tooth comb and even then I'm still frustrated. So I give it to them for making us do that. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on the episode? Any small moments that I didn't mention that you would like to mention before we head into the MVP? Only one small moment. You said juicy. Woo! <laughs> there you go. I'll throw back. <laughs> Storybook Weekly Mirror. Take a listen. Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Okay, so now it is time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, choose wisely. Vinny, since you're the the fresh blood here on our podcast, who's your MVP and why? You know, I'm just going to have to go with Zelina. Oh, I mean, wait, wrong podcast. <laughs> uh, no, honestly, I think I, 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 was, I was tied, and it was really, really difficult. It really is difficult for me to choose. Um, but I'm going to go with Montana, because out of all of the characters, we really did not get a lot about her past. We did not get, other than potentially the Christine Carr being something that she lied about because it's linked to her, uh, and she's just, to me, the most dimensional of the characters. I mean, right in the beginning, she's, like, looking at uh, Brooke, Brooke's body in the shower being really gregarious and really outgoing. So I got the impression she was going to be kind of bubbly. But then she starts showing an edge to her. And she also starts showing, like, a I don't give a shit kind of attitude. As the episode kind of progressed, she lost that, like, I'm a good, friendly bad girl to... Actually, no, I'm kind of a slutty bad girl after all. It was just a pretense. Um, 
so I'm really fascinated to find out her story and see where it goes because I feel like there's definitely an element of violence and I really really hope that we get to see her go mano a mano with the killer and have her own moment where she kicks some ass because I, I think she seriously could I like it so Montana is off the table Maddie Fitz who's your MVP and why oh you guys will never guess who I'm going to pick Margaret <laughs> no I'm going to pick Cook Birdie. Actually, I could see that because you said she was the shit, so I can totally see oh, that. Oh my god. Her line when they said, and this is Cook Birdie, and Xavier went dibs, and she just claps back and says, Oh, honey, you wouldn't know what to do if you had it. I was like, Maddie, she was my number. She was my other one. <laughs> yeah, I was so, oh my God, so thrilled. So like incredibly happy. Yeah, she's my MVP because we all want to be that bitch. Okay, I like it. I can dig it. I am going to go with, I feel like y'all can guess, maybe. But I'm going to go with Brooke. I just, yep. yeah, I really like what Emma Roberts did with the character this episode. She really impressed me. And, and maybe it's just because I'm so used to her being the snarky bitch on uh, American Horror Story and, and in uh, Scream Queens. But uh, I just loved seeing her get the chance to uh, play outside of the typical character that she usually plays. I found myself rooting for her, so I hope that, well... That's a lie. I was about to say, I hope that she isn't the killer. I, I think she could play an interesting killer, so that that could be fascinating. So uh, as of right now, I hope that they continue to allow her to play against type. And, um, and if that leads to her not being the killer, and she's the final girl, why not? If that leads to her being the actual killer at the end of it all, that could be really interesting as well. So right now, I'm rooting for Brooke. I really like her, and uh, I I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen uh, next to uh, the character. So uh, now, it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 keys? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden key and uh, yes you may jingle it maddie how would you rate this episode oh my god that's so funny you may jingle it <laughs> good one um i'm going to give it nine keys i think just because i'm so excited that it's back and i'm loving this season so far so i'm excited for all the other episodes and i think they're doing a really good job with it so far so yeah nine keys like it we start off with a solid nine Vinny. what about you i'm going to i'm going to play against type from my history podcasting with you and i am going to start my review season with a 10 key rating Ooh. i cannot say enough how much and this is going to make me sound like crazy and psychotic but this show is like an example of one compartment in my mind like the synthesizer music the over the topness, the violence, the gore, the slasher. It's the genre that I grew up with, you know, Halloween, Friday the 13th, all of that stuff. And from the start to finish, it roped me in, pulled me in back to that decade. It gave me the, the just the feeling of 
all that stuff that I like. Uh, my the the music was really important to me because I don't know if either of you are familiar with a band called Goblin. Um, but Goblin actually influenced John Carpenter when he started using all that synthesizers and really sharp, piercing noises in Halloween. They're an Italian band. Uh, I believe they're Italian. They do a lot of horror movie soundtracks for Dario Argento, um, and they've used a lot of their music in other horror movies. They have a really synthesized sound, and usually I associate with, like, you know, when I started listening to that genre, like, I always associated synthesizers with upbeat, you know, relatively peppy, ravey. But it can get really dark if you play with it right, and I feel like they definitely did that. They set the mood and the ambience right, and just from start to finish, I was absolutely in love with this episode. The characters, I want to know more. You know, I, I was not disappointed in any way like I was with the beginning of Apocalypse. Um, you know, it's it just really, I, 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 and I want the theme to stay. I want it to stay in this 1984 summer camp, and I want to see where he goes with it if he doesn't flip it over. So I'm really excited for the rest. So solid 10. All right, so we've got a 9 and a 10. And I will agree with one of you. And that person is, because I hardly ever agree with her, <laughs> I'm going to agree with Vinny. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to give it a solid 10. I mean, yeah, just major kudos all around. It was a fantastic premiere. The characters are awesome. The visuals are fantastic. Uh, the, the mythos is really interesting. They left it with a really good sort of cliffhanger. Um, everything from the cold open to the end was just so fascinating. It's a very rewatchable episode. And, uh, yeah, so far I am 100% here for it. So I will give uh, the premiere a solid 10 as well. And I'm jingling it. So uh, on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Are You Afraid 1984. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash PCR. Are you afraid? Follow us on Tumblr, are you afraid? Dash A H S Tumblr.com. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Are You Afraid? 1984 and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night. Good night, guys. See you next week. Good night, everyone. Sweet dreams. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Are You Afraid? 1984 every Friday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Papi Chulo Radio Archives. Good night.